Today on the show, we are bringing you the presentations from our live show, You Are Hair. The short hair Beyonce is who she really is when all the glamour's gone. And if you can love yourself with a pixie cut, you might have a shot in this world. My dad's attempt at instilling black is beautiful in me was slightly curtailed by The Little Mermaid. We're walking down the street, shave side head, shave side head, shave side. We're at the grocery store, shave side head. There's shave side head everywhere. Every single woman in Iceland is queer. Their paths crossed like two hot wires. We are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. I'm sorry, I was looking for Maud. Everyone has the right to make an ass out of themselves. You can't let the world judge you too much. That woman, she took my car. This is Bonnie and Maud, the film podcast, with Xenia Yarosh and Eleanor Kagan. Should we try to sing it sometime? No. No, we should not. Can I say we're brain picturing our theme song? I don't remember that, but now you've said it. This is Bonnie and Maud. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Ksenia Yarosh. Way back in March, we had a little live show. That we had a big live show. We a, I, I tend to call things little, like, here's a little song. I don't know why things are little. I need to have uh, more confidence. We did a big show mm-hmm. here in Brooklyn, and uh, it was about hair. We, we've definitely talked about hair a lot on the show. I feel like we started as early as the Lena Dunham episode. The first episode. Yeah. Hair has come up again and again, and we realized we were really obsessed with it and just kind of what it stands for and what it means mm-hmm. uh, when it's presented on screen in various ways. Mm-hmm. So we decided to put on a live show about it. That sounds right. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not contributing enough to this conversation, but um, every once in a while we like to see our audience in person and not just put out sound waves into a black hole of radio and podcasting. <laughs> so it was nice to be on stage and to see the smiling faces and hear the laughs to our conversation about hair. We also learned that our audience is really good looking. Yes. Which we are not surprised at about it all. We know you guys are just the sexiest. We had a bunch of presenters who talked about hair in all sorts of different ways. Music videos, film, personal stories, fairy tales, Beyonce, Miley Cyrus, um, different haircuts and what they meant in their own lives. We recorded it, obviously, and now we're going to share it with you. Finally, we're so excited. (laughs) And if this gets you excited about seeing live shows, you should really go to our website, bonnieandmaud.com, and check out what's coming up for us next, because we're going to be doing some live shows in the upcoming months, and we'd love for you to be there. We have a lot of really exciting things planned. Um, This starts off with me and Ksenia coming out on stage and giving our big intro. I would also say that uh, Eleanor made a really amazing montage that opened the show that sort of put together a bunch of different clips and representations of hair in television and movies, specifically women's hair. And as we're approaching the stage right now, uh, I can tell you that I was pretty teary-eyed as a result. (laughs) That makes me really happy. 
Um, so without further ado, uh, here is your hair. Um, a couple of minutes in, the audio is going to get kind of wacky because our recorder just kind of cut out. But it's only for a couple minutes, and then I promise the good audio will come back in. So bear with us, and uh, we'll be back to talk to you more soon. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome to You Are Hair. Yes, thank you so much for coming. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Ksenia Yarosh. Um, together we host a podcast called Bonnie and Maud, in which we take a female perspective on mostly film, but also TV and pop culture. Tonight, we're going to talk about hair. <laughs> so I have been obsessed with hair my whole life, um, and it actually feels somewhat strange to admit this, but I... <laughs> will say it is actually very wrapped up in the way that I feel about myself and my level of confidence and therefore how all of you see me um, and I'm wondering how you see me and I don't have a lot of it and it's blue so I can only imagine. <laughs> the perfect smurfette. Thank you. Uh, in real life we as women use hair as a visual representation of who we are, how we feel and who we want to be. Sometimes movies show this. A lot of the time, they don't. So all throughout this evening, we will be exploring how female characters in film and TV define themselves and are defined by their hair color, their hair length, their texture, etc. We'll also review the often conflicting stereotypes that are assigned to hair and how movies use these assumptions for better and worse. And of course, we will also get to the bottom of how we feel about ourselves and our own hair as a result of the pop culture we consume. Because this is nothing if not a therapy session. <laughs> we have some great presenters and we will get to them in a moment, but first we want to give you guys a little overview. Well, there have always been goofy headlines of, can you believe she cut her hair? Was it for a role? She's so brave. But discussions about women's hair seems to have become even more panicked and confused lately. For every headline that suggests that short hair is in and pubic hair removal is out, there are two more that say the opposite. Once again, women's bodies are the subject of trend pieces, the conclusion of which is you can be a better woman if you have a lot of hair on your head, but not much elsewhere. And the fact that celebrities' haircuts make the news is also kind of insane to me. Um, but I think it reveals the importance that we place, whether we like it or not, on the hair of people we admire or we have a sick fascination with. And so when they change it, um, we can actually take it personally um, as it's like an affront to us and the way we see them. Um, and can we also just take a moment and point out the ridiculousness that a haircut can quote-unquote ruin a woman's career? This shit grows back, and Carrie Russell is fine. And better than ever. No matter how progressive our parents were, so many of us first saw femininity in the form of the Disney princess. Well... What do we know about their hair? It's flowing, long, straight, or just slightly wavy, with the notable exception of the recent edition, Brave. Uh, it's also loose with one decorative element. Uh, they do have a mix of colors. I was surprised how many 
of the princesses are actually brunettes and redheads, but I still think a lot of little girls associate blonde with the typical princess. Um, it's also worth noting that even though Disney has been trying to be a little more progressive uh, with Tangled, um, in that story, when the princess has her magical hair cut off into an adorable bob, uh, it, it's transformed from golden yellow to brown. To me, that says brown hair is boring and ordinary, and that makes me sad. And I think it's significant that many of the Disney villains were older women who wanted to become or appear younger, which they went about trying to achieve by trying to steal something from one of the princesses. Um, and whereas princess hair is long and flowy and straight, villain hair is anything but. It's tucked away, hidden, it's edgier. I mean, look at Ursula's pixie cut. It's so awesome. I love it. I obviously love it. And it may be where I go after this. We'll see. <laughs> but, you know, either way, they're not conventionally attractive. So I think even as we were children growing up seeing these images, we were already being taught concepts of good hair and bad hair by characters who are inherently good or evil. In film, on TV, and pop culture, a woman is often characterized by her physical features, her face, her body, her race, and her hair, which becomes a visual shorthand and is the key to... Things like social status, um, the time period in which the story takes place, her general outlook on life, whether she is a moral or ethical character, um, how stressed out she is, and her relationship status. I mean, you guys all know what single lady hair looks like in the movies. Or mom hair, for that matter. Or mom hair, and it's never that attractive. Um, but the quickest way to tell a viewer what a woman is like is through her hair, says the movies. Um, and obviously when reducing women to just their hair colors uh, amid mainstream Western standards of beauty, many patterns and paradoxes arise, uh, perhaps most so with blondes. The image of the blonde illustrates the ultimate contradiction of femininity, the virgin versus whore. On one hand, we think of innocent, cherubic little girls. On the other hand, we think of the ultra-sexual bombshell. It's interesting uh, that Marilyn Monroe has actually often played the bombshell who is totally naive of her sexual powers. And I find the blonde paradox really fascinating because on one hand, you have this blonde virtue. On the other hand, you have blonde vice. Um, it comes from a lack of nuance in historical female figures um, as either saviors or devils and nothing much in between and certainly nothing particularly normalized. Um, at the core of this paradox, you have two very famous ladies, the Virgin Mary and Eve. According to the blonde scholar Joanna Pittman, and there are blonde scholars, which is just great, um, in, the, uh, in the late 14th century, it was a woman, St. Bridget, who popularized the idea that the Virgin Mary was a blonde lady. Um, and so in poetry, painting, and in verse, Mary and Eve have sort of taken on these blonde statures to mean these two diametrically opposed things. Um, at one point in the 18th century in France, the dumb blonde stereotype actually arose because there was a play written about this famous, rich, self-made, but notoriously aloof courtesan named Rosalie Dufay, um, and it basically painted her out to be a total idiot. And Parisian high society loved it, so the dumb blonde stereotype stuck. Alas. Brunettes. 
Uh, they mostly function as the opposition to the blonde. They're the foe. When blondes are assumed to be stupid, brunettes are assumed to be smart to the point of being totally uninterested in men and sex. Dark hair is also often a means to indicate a rebellious streak. And when a brunette seductress appears on screen, she uses cunning, not her body like the blonde, to get what she wants. So whereas we have blonde and brunette, um, which have fallen in and out of fashion over the centuries, um, women have always had the ability to dye their hair to take on whichever culturally prescribed persona they want. Um, to the point of even in the 70s, uh, dyeing your hair became a symbol of women's lip. Um, in ancient Greece, you uh, had saffron and mud to dye your hair. Um, in the 30s, Jean Harlow dunked her head repeatedly in Clorox bleach sometimes ammonia, sometimes reportedly both, even though it creates a noxious gas, so who knows. Um, and last week, I used manic panic. <laughs> Redheads throw a wrench in the blondes versus brunettes conflict. <laughs> Did you know that there is even a redhead in Archie comics, and she totally causes Betty and Veronica to fight even more than Archie, who is also a redhead? Um, they're the surprise twist, the quirky, unusual other that's hard to pin down. Redhead characters are often shown as either a trickster character who is funny and silly and loud, or as a witchy seductress. We'll hear more on this in an upcoming presentation. The blonde versus brunette conflict is a classic way to play up people's assumptions about women in general. Any conflict that may be happening on screen between two women is heightened if their hair is of opposing colors because it plugs into our assumptions of which one is good and which one is bad. The truth is, I'm usually rooting for the brunettes. I can't help my allegiance, even if I'm a blonde right now. Um, I wonder also if the blonde versus brunette stereotype originated in silent movies. Um, you know, you have two white ladies in a movie. How are you going to tell them apart? Give them different hair colors. So, you know, even from the time celluloid was invented, um, you're still coding people, even if it's just at different levels of grayscale. Yeah, the biggest issue with this trope, which you can see is common even today in everything from comedy to drama, is that the crux of the blonde versus brunette dispute is usually a male romantic interest. You have to choose which side you're on for the sake of the story. When a blonde isn't pitted against a different woman with the opposite hair, she's put in conflict with a brunette within herself. <laughs> you might... <laughs> You might think the brunette evil twin is an old TV cop-out, but it continues to crop up in music videos and films to this day. And even when it's not an evil twin, the split of the same actress playing different roles <laughs> with a wig on um, plays into our anxieties of whether we chose the right path in our lives as women. And part of the reason women dye their hair in the first place is to reinvent themselves and play out the fantasy of, if I was blonde, would I be happier? If I was a brunette, would people take me more seriously? So movies like Sliding Doors and Lost Highway, and yes, even Taylor Swift videos, <laughs> allow us to live out these fantasies in film. So whenever you have a trio of women, you can expect that they will all have different hairstyles. <laughs> Whether it's the blonde brunette redhead, blonde brunette pixie cut, blonde brunette curly hair, um, it's actually still unclear to me whether this comes from uh, you know, an image of women maintaining their own identities even when in a group, or if the director just could not tell them apart and thought that the viewer could not either. 
<laughs> it's not just hair color that offers us hints as to what kind of person the woman on screen may be. Short hair tends to be a sign of quirkiness and rebellion. Curly hair tends to signify unpredictability and a certain wildness. Somehow the hair gets bigger as the action progresses. Um, in Working Girl, the lead character specifically makes her hair smaller to be more professional and possibly less feminine. In Greece, Sandy does the opposite by going from a neat ponytail to a big, wild mass. There could be an entire show on subversion, but I think Reese Witherspoon specifically has done some interesting work subverting hair expectations. She's played a blonde who was feminine, but also super smart. And in Freeway, she twists the little girl look of pigtails by being the most badass little Red Riding Hood ever. Um, so I think I have to say that my favorite trope of all is the hair transformation. It's always interesting when a woman changes her hair in the movies because it's usually a pivotal scene and it always begs the sometimes question. Sometimes it even starts the show sometimes as, e in. as in my so-called life. Um, she wasn't talking about my hair. She was talking about my life. It, it always kind of brings to mind this idea of, what does it all mean? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> so the woman on screen is illustrating the change uh, within herself, outside of herself. Um, sometimes this takes the form of the haircut of distress. I think you guys all know what I'm talking about. Um, this is when someone is losing it, whether it is triggered by romantic troubles or just general life fucked upness. Um, sometimes the only thing to do is head to the scissors. Um, on the other hand, a woman can transform her hair because she is exerting her own independence and seeking to take control of her life, um, after which perhaps she'll gain more confidence and uh, from the attention that a transformation brings you. And cutting your hair, which is, again, an impermanent act, um, is the quickest way to do this. So movie logic follows, change outside begets change inside, and it's often very emotional. On the flip side, there's the makeover, a common trope. They're irresistible. But it's interesting to note that in most movie makeovers, the change is imposed upon the woman by circumstance. You know, prom, becoming a princess, the usual. And another female character usually swoops in to undo the ponytail of someone who was previously an outsider. It can be a sweet moment of friendship and sisterhood, but there's still an element of now you've been fixed um, through the experience of the makeover, and your chances of getting a man and succeeding in life have been improved. Um, so we are going to learn a lot tonight from our speakers about what to watch for in the movies and maybe what we shouldn't take so seriously. So... Our first speaker has molded the young minds by teaching a college writing class on Kanye West. Um, she wrote an award-winning novella called Sorry for Partying and hacked off all of her beautiful curls in 2012, which she will expound upon in a moment. Please welcome Tessa Brown. Hello. So as Eleanor mentioned, a few years ago, I cut all my hair off. Um, and I think that was the first time I've ever been ahead of a trend. It seems that since then, most celebrities, lady celebrities, have gone for the pixie cut, uh, starting with the edgy folks like Rihanna, but now even the good girls like Jennifer Lawrence have cut off their hair, and even the classic 90s blonde porn star-esque bombshell Pam Anderson went for the scissors. 
So as a woman with short hair myself, I'm intrigued. Um, and as an academic, I'm particularly curious. Why now is everyone cutting off their hair? And also, why does it matter? Why do we seem to care so much when women go short? Uh, my favorite celebrity short haircut is Evan Rachel Woods. She looks so glamorous in the front, and then she has this fishtail in the back that to me says, yeah, I fucked Marilyn Manson. <laughs> but in my eyes, the two pixies that made the biggest splash were Beyonce's and Miley Cyrus. Both debuted with these selfies on social media. Um, both sparked major discussion in the cultural media and uh, both of interest to me, and we're gonna spend some time looking at them tonight. So Beyonce, of course, it looks like a normal selfie if you live in a world where every time you take a selfie, your manicure is freshly done and your makeup looks perfect. <laughs> I don't live in that world. Um, but then she released a few more images and you see that she really was posing. She did the kind of salon view where you get the back of the haircut and the front so that everyone can go to their stylist and tell that they wanted this haircut. Since then, I don't know how many of you follow Beyonce on Instagram like I do, but I've noticed that her Instagram has been very Tress-centric. I can't tell if she's gloating because her weave looks better than my real hair does, um, or maybe she's just insecure and she wants to show she can still whip it around. Since she's been a solo artist especially, Beyonce's hair has always been really central to her image. And in the new album, the visual album that she just released, um, that's no different. There's lots of hairstyles in this album, beautiful makeup, tons of couture, um, and we see Beyonce's visuals at their most flexible and exciting. And so, interestingly to me, the first shot of the whole visual album is of Beyonce with a pixie cut in Pretty Hurts. So in this video, it's all about beauty pageants and Beyonce's hair is of central concern. We see it short, long, Waft. Other women are in rollers. At one point that you're gonna see Beyonce also stands surrounded by wigs. So hair is really prominent in this video. Pretty Hurts is all about how much work it takes to be beautiful and how competitive women can be about their looks. We see Beyonce on the stage, in the dressing room, auditioning, getting measured. Um, she looked so happy in her Instagram selfies, but when we see her in this video with her short hair, she looks miserable, like she's really reckoning with herself and she's gonna find herself in the mirror looking back at her with her short hair. The sense we get in Pretty Hurts is that the person you are with short hair is your authentic self. We see Beyonce rubbing her makeup off with her pixie cut, looking in the mirror, and there's this sense that the short hair Beyonce is who she really is when all the glamour's gone. And if you can love yourself with a pixie cut, you might have a shot in this world. <laughs> Now the other video on Beyonce's new album in which she appears with short hair is very different. It's Haunted, which occurs in the middle of the album, 
And we see Beyonce again with short hair, um, but it's very slicked back. She has these 1920s style finger waves. It's a very controlled hairstyle. And in this video, Beyonce walks through this mansion, peering into these different rooms that each have these sort of freak show activities going on. In this video, we get the sense that Beyonce has a lot of power. She's kind of the queen of this weird mansion. Um, she also has a tuxedo on, so there's a sense of masculinity. And this video is all about deviance. Um, this is the freak show, and Beyonce is the queen of all the freaks. So we see in these two videos, Pretty Hurts and Haunted, that the images in each of them are very different from each other, and yet in each of them, the pixie is kind of situated as outside of norms, outside of standard notions of femininity. Now, Miley Cyrus also debuted her new haircut on Twitter um, in the midst of a major image shift. And so for Miley, her new haircut was all about establishing her authenticity, that this is the real Miley. So she tweeted, never felt more me in my whole life. Um, and there was the sense that this is the real Miley with her short hair as opposed to the constructed Miley, uh, the Disney princess that was always weighted down with hair extensions. Yeah. So the first single that she released with this new image from her new album was called We Can't Stop. It got a lot of buzz. Um, and again, in this video, hair is immediately foregrounded. You'll see in a second that when the video opens, Miley pops in a grill. She brushes her hair back like the Fonz. Um, and we get this sense that she's really appropriating this masculine cool. We could say with the grill that she's even appropriating a kind of black masculine cool. She's so gross. Um, I always thought she was disgusting, but now that it's part of her image, I'm kind of coming around. I'm like, yeah, own it. You're nasty. Um, so this song, it's all about freedom, right? It's about being free from your parents, being free to be weird, being free to have a party in your, in your house, free to pull a stuffed bobcat on a gold chain. Um, <laughs> So we get the sense that this haircut is situated in the context of all that freedom. The other video of hers that I want to glance at with you, it's from this song called 23, which is a Mike Will Made It song. Miley actually raps alongside Wiz Khalifa um, and Juicy J from 3-6 Mafia. So this video is all about Air Jordans. Everyone in the video is wearing incredible custom Chicago Bulls swag. Um, as a Chicagoan, Lifelong Bulls fan, as I just mentioned, having changing feelings about Miley. This video gives me a lot of feelings. I don't understand all of them. Um. But we get the sense in this video that Miley is just one of the boys. Sometimes she's dancing, she's very sexual in the video, but there's a sense that she's a sexual object not to them. She's just one of the guys. And I find myself wondering, when we watch this video, um, 
how much her hair comes to play into it, right? I mean, again, she's really appropriating this black male masculinity. She's actually wearing a bikini made out of a Michael Jordan jersey. Feelings, like I said. Um, she's really owning her sexuality, and at the same time, I feel like she wouldn't be able to do this if she still had her Hannah Montana hair. <laughs> so we've seen that current pop culture builds a lot of meaning into the pixie cut. Um, I think it dates all the way back to the flappers, right? We see that short hair is a woman that's confident, it's natural beauty, she's authentic, but she's also flaunting norms. She's maybe toying with masculinity in a way that's being constructed as deviant and threatening. So all I have to say is don't be scared, um, and thanks very much. Tessa Brown. When I was going back and listening again to Tessa's presentation, my favorite moment is her reveling in Miley Cyrus's grossness. <laughs> Absolutely. That was the first time I heard someone put into words the feelings that I've been feeling towards Miley. And yeah. it was amazing. I know. I, I felt I felt really good after that presentation. <laughs> Um, so another aspect of this live show um, that we want to let you guys in on is that as people were walking in, we handed out little pieces of paper with prompts on them. Mm -hmm. And we sort of got a glimpse into who was in the audience. Yeah, and how they feel about their hair. I mean, I know we were joking that this whole night was sort of like a hair therapy session, but I feel like a lot of people really admitted things about their self-worth as viewed through their hair. So of course we read them all on stage. <laughs> well, the questionnaires were totally anonymous. So people sort of wrote and drew whatever felt right at the time. And I think my favorite aspect is, you know, it was sort of intended. I, I think we have a largely female audience and the show was very much to connect with other women about their hair. But we also had a lot of men in the audience, and a lot of the time when we were reading these answers, we couldn't always tell the gender of the person, which I think made me open up my mind about how men feel about their hair as well. Yeah, and um, we got so many great responses from this um, that we are working on putting them into a zine and scanning them for our Tumblr page so you can check them out also. Some people actually drew us pictures. Um, but we also would love to hear from you guys about your hair experiences. We're going to get to the questions in a moment and we'll reiterate them later. But um, as you're listening through this, if you have any responses to these prompts, please tell us. Um, Bonnieandmod at gmail.com or facebook.com slash Bonnieandmod. Anyway, here are some of the hair secrets of our audience uh, from our You Are Hair show. And then we're going to get back into a couple more presentations. So one of the questions, there were four, um, my best or worst, pick one, hair moment. This person actually didn't circle best or worst, so I guess it's both. Um, Bo Derek Cornrows, which made me look like a member of Corn. Oh. <laughs> when it comes to my hair, no one knows that I am starting to get a little thin up top. No one, underlined. 
my dream hair looks like, and there's this one perfect word, Clooney-esque. Uh, my best slash worst hair moment. Um, asking the barber to give me a Jean-Luc Picard when I was 18. <laughs> I want to see pictures. Uh, my worst hair moment. My boyfriend accidentally lit my hair on fire while lighting a bowl for me. Aww. <laughs> that is so sweet. My dream hair looks like shimmering, long, bouncy curls in their natural color, gray. My boyfriend calls me Silver Fox. I love these so much. Also, come be my friend after the show. Um, you can find the work of our next speaker on Slate's culture blog, Browbeat, where she writes things that make Fox News anchors' hair stand on end. Please welcome Aisha Harris. I hope you all like my hair tonight. I did it especially for you. Thank you. <laughs> so I feel like hair envy is one of those things that only women can truly understand. Um, guys are kind of like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why do you care about your hair? But um, I think every woman, most if not all women, have gone through periods of time where like they hate their hair. And I've gone through probably longer periods than most women have. Um, my hair journey actually begins with a little movie that's probably still one of my favorites, The Little Mermaid. Uh, I was introduced to it probably when I was about two or three years old, and um, I just wanted Ariel's hair. And it wasn't so much like the fiery red color, like I knew that wouldn't look at all right on me. Um, it was mostly like the long flowing locks and the way like it had its own life and would just like, in the water would just like move like this. Even when she was just like st floating still, it'd just be like <sighs> <sighs> And one particular moment was especially pivotal in my life. It's the moment right after um, Ursula turns her uh, fins into legs and she like swims and it's after Poor Unfortunate Souls and the music is like swelling and she goes <gasps> like that. And um, you can't get the full effect unless you actually watch it. So, so epic. So very epic. I reenacted that moment probably everywhere I possibly could. The pool, the bathtub, the ocean when we're at the beach, and the shower. And if you see my hair, it doesn't really look like that, and it doesn't do that when it gets wet. Um, when I was younger, my hair was also kind of like this, but my mom braided it. And uh, as soon as it touched the water, it just go, go up in a big, big blob. Um, so I really wanted it, and I also wanted to reenact it with a doll, but my dad would not buy me any white dolls because he didn't want me to want hair like that. Um, interestingly enough, most of the black dolls that existed um, had long, flowy hair. Um, they were basically just white dolls painted black with white features, with the exception of Addie, whose hair was also kind of long and flowy, but kind of felt like mine, so there was really no alternative. So what I would do, and this is very slightly embarrassing, um, I would play with tissue and pretend that it was Ariel. And so I'd pull the hair back, and I'd like all the other characters were invisible, so I'd reenact the entire movie. Then when it came time for her to turn into a human, I'd rip the bottom part. <laughs> and then she had legs. Um, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> my dad's attempt at instilling black is beautiful in me was slightly curtailed by The Little Mermaid. Um, it was also curtailed by the fact that I went to a predominantly white school with other um, white girls who would question my hair and be like, how often do you wash it? And why does it feel like that? And what happens when it gets wet? Um, so that would also feed into, I, was a dan I did dance competition. And um, the thing that strikes me now thinking back is that we were going for this singular aesthetic whenever we performed and the hair, no matter what, no matter if it was curly, straight, whether you're black or white, like it had to all look the same. And there's one, I remember one, at least one number in particular, where we had to wear these awful like Shirley Temple like ponytails. And none of them looked real, but we all had to wear them. We were like 10 years old, kind of looked like um, beauty pageant stuff, and it was, it was awful. And I feel like within performance, this feeds into the way we look at Hollywood and black actors in, in particular. Um, there's this unspoken uh, need to conform within black Hollywood. Most black actresses, especially prominent black actresses, do not have, do not wear their natural hair, whether it's for a role or in public. Um, one prime example is uh, Carrie Washington, who started her career wearing her hair um, shorter and curlier. Um, this is still from Save the Last Dance. And in the last five to 10 years, She's worn her hair straighter and more flowing. And this is not to say that this is a bad thing. I don't want to bash having long and flowing hair because I had straight hair for 10 to 12 years of my life. But um, it is telling the fact that as her career has ascended, her hair has gotten straighter and she doesn't really rock the, the short curly fro anymore. Um, there are exceptions. Older actresses in particular tend to go, I think, maybe through a phase where they're like, fuck it, I don't care anymore. Um, <laughs> Angela Bassett and Viola Davis have easily switched between having their hair long um, and having it shorter or more natural, if you want to call it that. Um, and another notable example is Whoopi Goldberg, who for most of her career, if you think about Whoopi Goldberg, like you don't think of her hair as it is in Ghost. Uh, you, you think of it like she started out with the dreads in her natural hair. She has it now. And um, I think part of that might be the fact that she started off as a comedian and it was less about her being a straight performer as opposed to like, I need to be funny and I don't care what I look like. Plus she has no eyebrows, so I mean. <laughs> She really is like, I think, a great person for girls, especially black women, to be, to, to kind of look up to and, and admire. Um, so my, I straightened my hair for about 10 to 12 years, decided not to do it anymore, mostly just not out of this, like, I need to prove my blackness, but mostly because it just got too expensive and got really frustrating to deal with. And um, I didn't want to spend all that time on straightening my hair. So I cut it off, and now it looks like this after a very long and difficult one and a half year journey. Um, What's interesting is that I've had a lot of women comment on my hair now and people touch it even though I don't want them to. And um, even white women or black women, it doesn't matter who, and Asian women even have come up to me and say, I love your hair. I want your hair. And I'm like, that's weird because I've always wanted someone else's hair, but now you want my hair. And um, even when I started cutting my hair and, and left it the way, like, 
left it natural. Even when I was going through the process, like I wanted my hair to look a little bit more like Tracy Ellis Ross's, who is the daughter of Diana Ross and is an actress. And um, she has beautiful hair, but like my hair is never gonna look like that. We have different textures and I think it's all about embracing that. Um, so I'll leave you with this great quote that Tracy Ellis Ross has um, said, and she started a hair love campaign because she realized that lots of women envy other women's hair. Um, so the quote is, I don't want you to want my hair. The reason I don't want you to want my hair is I'm of the school of love what you got. For me, the reason why my hair was such a battle is because I was trying to make it something it wasn't. I wanted the hair that somebody else had. So basically, I think we should not take all of our cues from pop culture, even though there are many great examples of hairstyles that we might, might want to emulate. Um, it took me a long time to get to, through the journey of loving my hair, and um, Little Mermaid didn't help, but I think it also somehow inspired me to wear my hair the way, I, the way it is now, and I'm very happy that way. So thank you. Aisha Harris. I looked in the mirror for the first time and saw that hey, I am not my hair. I am not my dream hair looks like full and curly or wavy, not quite a Jufro, not too long, but long enough for my special lady friend to get her fingers tangled in my locks. Um, all right, so Cassie Wagler uh, is the host of the radio show Romantic Friendship. Uh, she teaches little kids how to build robots and is also the reason that I filled the RuPaul's Drag Race sized void in my life that I did not even know I had. <laughs> Congratulations, Cassie. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Just kidding. Cassie Wagler! Hello. Okay. All right. So I am here today to talk to you all about shaved side head, okay? Um, and for me, this hairstyle has a lot of personal significance, and I'm going to try to explain to you all exactly what, why, why that is. So, so I am a femme, and um, as I'm sure most of you know, the word femme comes from butch femme, right? So back in the day, there were basically two ways to be a gay woman. You could be a butch, or you could be a femme. That was basically it. If you didn't feel like you were really one or the other, too fucking bad. Just pick one. And things have changed. Luckily, society has opened up, and now you don't have to be a butcher or a femme. But for some people, the term actually really works. It actually speaks to who we are and who we desire. Now, don't get confused, okay? Femmes are not lesbians. It's different, all right? No, different. Also, all right, women from northern Wisconsin, not femmes, all right? Also different, okay. But one of the issues that femmes have is that nobody can tell that they're gay sometimes, and so people just assume that they're straight. And this is particularly annoying when you're trying to date, right? Nobody knows you're gay, you're not going home with anybody. But it goes so, so, so far beyond that. So I was talking to my friend Kira here about this, and she said that everyone assumes that she's straight until they see her with her partner. 
Okay, so her queerness is rendered visible by her association with this other person who's visibly queer. And that's just fucking sucks. It's infantilizing, which I wasn't going to use that word, but I think that it is. It says you're not actually a full person, and we don't actually know who you are until we see you with somebody else, another person, a more masculine person. So femmes do all sorts of things to make themselves visible. They do, they grow out their armpit hair, they do have tattoos, they have bangs, they have a little bit of color, just sort of hidden, see, note. Um, they do lots of different things to just try to present in whatever way they can. So some of us even tried to be a little butch back when we were younger. We tried. It was the only way we knew how to be gay. And so we were like, we, have, we must have to do this, right? And then eventually we had to come back to our true selves and realize, no. So I arrived to New arrive in New York looking like I just walked off a farm and be like, I look so straight and I have this like long shoulder length brown hair. So this is not going to work. Something's got to change. So I did what like every other queer femme did in 2008, which is I got a little shaved side head. I got a couple little steps shaved into my head. And you know, like, it kind of worked. Like I felt, a little bit, I felt a little bit better. People started to read me a little bit more queer. And as I kind of got situated in New York City, I started seeing this queer femme shaved side head everywhere. So <sighs> there was this girl, Katie, and she worked at this cafe. It was like in my neighborhood, and she had the best femme hair I've ever seen in my life. Okay, she had shaved side head, and then the back was extremely long, and then she had two layers of bangs. <laughs> two layers of bangs. She had four layers of hair. It's just like mind-boggling. Okay, then there was this girl, Bunny. She was in my yoga class. I always stood behind her for reasons that you can see. And... um. Her shaved side head was amazing because it was shaved side head and then also it was blonde and green, okay? So she had triple threat right there. All right, but once I got into like queer nightlife too, I just started seeing femme shaved side head everywhere. So it's just, it was a thing. But then I had a crisis. <sighs> I went to Iceland. And, and in Iceland, People are very fashionable, they look really good, and they also have really cool hair. All different types of really cool hair. So, one thing I start noticing while I'm in Iceland. All right, we're walking down the street, shave side head, shave side head, shave side head. We're at the grocery store, shave side head. There's shave side head everywhere. Every single woman in Iceland is queer. How can this... <laughs> Like, how can this be? I know that their prime minister is a lesbian, but like, is it mandatory? I just don't, I do not get it. Okay, so I finally I asked somebody, like, is it, what is up with this? And they were like, no, 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 no. It's just a really popular haircut. Which, wow, Iceland is way more advanced than our country, and I kind of took this as a bit of an omen. So back in our country, the shaved side head is becoming way more popular. Right? So Rihanna's doing it. She does it really, really well. She's one of the first. She's an early adopter. Very nice. Um, then Cassie, a personal favorite. I dare you to find a woman that's hotter than her in the world. I, really, I do. She's got the shaved side head. Okay, then we got Rosario Dawson gets it. Kesha, Mel B, Scary Spice from Spice Girls. All right, then we've got celebrities and their children. Jada Pinkett Smith has it and her daughter Willow. Madonna's daughter Lourdes, all grown up, she's got it, okay. Then we've got the B and C celebrities. Amanda Bynes. 
everybody's got it. And then all of a sudden, the nail in the coffin, okay? Frickin' Avril Lavigne has it. <laughs> the shave side head is over, all right? <sighs> so is this appropriation? Is, this, is that what's going on? And I had to ask myself this. What's with all these straight celebrities having this haircut? And in some cases, there she is again, Miley. In some cases, yeah, it's appropriation. So here we have Miley. She's at the same time appropriating from black culture and queer culture, like at the same time. Amazing. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but black women have been doing things with their hair where they're shaving the sides and shaving the top and shaving all over the place forever. So we have to be really careful when we talk about who is appropriating from whom. And I also am less interested in who owns this hairstyle and I'm more interested in like, does it even mean anything? Okay? Is it still gay or not? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> All right. So I went to talk to my friend Sarah because she just very recently got the shave side head. So I was like, she knows. She's doing this in 2014. Um, so I asked her why she got it. I always felt like I presented really straight. And often in queer circles, I just felt like I had this like neon sign flashing over me that was like, straight, straight, straight. When I'm at work, I'll like part it this way so that it looks like a little more worky and professional. But then if I go out, maybe I'll... I get a little more wild with it, part okay. on the other side. And then the other thing is, I date men and women, so I'd never part it this way if I'm going on a date with a guy. But if I go on a date with a woman, and then I'll like play around with it or decide. Okay, so for Sarah, clearly it's, it's gay. It's a very gay thing. Um, then I talked to my friend Topher about this. He's a hairstylist, so he's seen every type of hair circulate through New York City. And I asked him, you know, is this still a gay thing? Is it, is it losing its meaning? And this is what he had to say. I think it depends on what mainstream society is doing in terms of, like, hair fashion. I think now with people doing sort of, like, um, asymmetric haircuts and things like that, it, it might be less so. Well, and I guess we're going to have to start shaving both sides and the front or something. Anything can be a signal. Uh, it just depends on if people are looking for it or not. <sighs> Sigh. So is this really what we have to do? Ah. <laughs> uh. Really? We have to shave weird parts of our head just so people know we're gay? hate that. I don't want to. There is another option. And this one is taking all those straight haircuts and just making them gay. Anything can be a signifier if you make it. So queer femmes worldwide can just start rocking the, rocking the, uh, the Rachel. And then all of a sudden it becomes a new thing. But honestly, the actual solution to this issue of femme visibility is a lot, lot, lot deeper than that. And for this, we have to hit up a little bit of Adrian Rich. Okay, you guys ready? Queer theory? So Adrian Rich says that one of the ways that male power is maintained in society is through the idea that all women are sexually available to men. And in order for women to be sexually available to men, we have to assume that they're all heterosexual. Okay? And as soon as we assume that everyone is heterosexual, that's the default, then we are rendering invisible the lesbian possibility. So while I give so many props to all of my femme sisters, putting out those signals, doing whatever they can, the real thing that we have to do, all of us and everyone in society, is stop pretending and stop assuming that every feminine person out there is straight. 
because friends were not. <laughs> Thank you so much. Isn't Cassie great? She is. I loved her presentation so much. I learned so much. And actually, I mean, I don't know if it was the inspiration, but I do have a side shave you now. You side shave head right now. <laughs> I, I guess I was inspired by all those images. Yeah. And if you want to see the full presentation itself with slideshows and clips and all sorts of other things, um, you should go to our YouTube page and our username is Bonnie and Maud, and you can also get there from our website. Cassie's presentation in particular is one that um, I really urge you to go on YouTube um, to look at lots of um, amazing femme hair and Icelandic hair, <laughs> including um, the best visual gag of her whole presentation was uh, there was a like a Shetland pony <laughs> in her slide about Icelandic hair. <laughs> And the pony had like the best like white emo side swept. Base. Everyone is so beautiful in Iceland, including <laughs> their ponies. <laughs> um, so that is it for part one of You Are Hair, um, the live show Bonnie and Mod experience. <laughs> Why is that so funny? I don't know because it sounds like a Disney World ride. <laughs> Um, the hair experience, but we're going to release a part two soon. And, uh, you have a lot of great things to look forward to in that. Um, well, we do want to give a shout out to our presenters from this section of the, you are hair podcast. So if you want to hear more from Aisha, you should go to, um, Aisha Harris, uh, her Twitter handle is crafting my style and, uh, she writes for slate.com. You can follow Tessa Brown's work um, on her blog, hiphopocracy.wordpress.com. Just think hip-hop plus-ocracy. We'll, we'll put a link on our website. But, um, <laughs> and uh, she tweets at Tessa La Professa. And uh, Cassie Wagler's radio show is Romantic Friendship, which is on Bbox, And you can check that out by going to bboxradio.com. And thanks again to all of them for being part of our live show. Wonderful. More to come. <laughs> Keep listening and go check out bonnieandmott.com for more. In the morning, I'm short of my identity. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I still-